Hi, I'm Savi, and this is Lens, and this is our Star Wars podcast, Stardust Records. This week, we'll be discussing Episode 8 of Andor, and we're so sorry that we missed you last week. We hope that we can make it up to you this week. So, Lens, what happened this week? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, we got, obviously, we got Andor Episode 8, and we also got Light of the, or Light of the Jedi? Tales of the Jedi! Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Close. We got Tales <laughs> of the Jedi. Wow, I can't believe I messed that up um but yeah we got tales of the jedi which was a six episode uh i guess it was like sort of like an anthology it wasn't an anthology it was focusing like on yeah it was like a mini series it was done in the style of the clone wars animation and it focused on two characters which was count dooku and ahsoka and three episodes each so um i thought it was i wasn't like super duper wowed by the whole thing it was cool to see them again. It was cool to see the animation again. It was really good animation. Um, I actually, I know this might be heresy for some people, but I think I actually enjoyed Count Dooku's stories more than I did Ahsoka's. And I won't get into the whole thing, but I have always kind of wondered about Count Dooku. And I know that there's a canon novel about him that I would love to read as well. But it was just cool to see different points of his life, like a couple points of his life that led up to him becoming a separatist leader um an apprentice of Darth Sidious um yeah so it was really neat to see that a couple of the characters that were alongside him in the episodes seeing them interact with him and his opinions and their opinions um yeah so I really liked his episodes um Ahsoka's was pretty good I think it was neat to see her origins and when she was a little (laughs) little wee one little little baby Ahsoka yeah (laughs) um it was but, uh, yeah. it was cool seeing uh, or hearing uh, Janina come back because she was Eden in Battlefront 2. Yes. Yeah, I was really excited. I was like, wait, Janina. I hope I'm yeah. saying her name right. But yeah, what were, what were you? I didn't watch it. So what did you think of those episodes? Um, so I guess I really liked the first one. It was neat to see Ahsoka as a little baby. And then the second one was interesting. It was... Uh, basically all about Anakin um training Ahsoka to basically uh withstand a really heavy like attack um like firing on her a lot and of course this was just all to the way he had it done was that he had all the clones like firing um stun blasts at her and uh she had to do it like a ton of times she kept passing out it was actually like I know that it was necessary and they did this for a reason but it was actually made me a little uncomfortable how Anakin just would not give her a break. Like it was almost, unco- it was kind of uncomfortable actually. Cause he's like, do it again, do it again. She kept passing out. Like, but you see her continue like through the war, like this is the training they do. And then all ultimately it makes more sense how she's able to block all those blasts from the clones during order 66. And then there's a point where uh, they kind of like, splice in a scene between when you see Ahsoka and Rex decide to go down to face Jesse in the um, last episodes of the Clone Wars before and and then you know Rex is like oh you know trying to reason with them there's a shot right before they go out to meet them where that you don't see in those episodes originally where Rex is like I hope all this training paid off and it was like (laughs) yeah and so it was pretty good um, but then the last episode is Ahsoka on her own, 
Um, if, at first she's with Rex, but you don't see that like initially. Um, but then it's on her own, and uh, that story was kind of cool. Um, I wish it had. It feels like a part of the story that should have been fleshed out more. But that's the point of the series is that it's just small bits of their lives. So I thought it was good overall. Uh, it was nice. It was like nice to watch, but it wasn't anything to write home about, <laughs> in my opinion. So at the same time, Tales of the Jedi came out, Andor episode eight came out, which I know that there were some people that were like a little, some people meaning me, <laughs> were a little worried about how that would go, essentially, like how having two Star Wars essentially releasing at the same time would go especially when one is quote-unquote like a more popular form of it so like we all like we've had a lot of like Anakin and Ahsoka and Obi-Wan and like Tales of the Jedi was kind of uh, I for lack of a better word like teased at celebration like like everyone was kind of anticipating it for a while and then we didn't have a release date and then we got the poster and the release date and then it was the same day as an Andor episode. So I was, I don't know if you felt this way and we were talking about this before we were recording, but um, I was fearful that Andor episode eight would kind of be like put on the back burner for this, but I feel like it was the other way around. Yeah, <laughs> it was too. I think, I mean, obviously we only get a fraction uh, and a kind of a small pool of opinions of people that we see on Twitter um, responding to stuff. So, uh, or what their thoughts are on the Andor episodes or um, Tales of the Jedi in this case. Um, and from what we could see, it really did feel like Andor episode eight was more well received than our pool of people that we see on Twitter responding to Tales of the Jedi. Um, there are different reasons for that, but yeah, I think our, our little fears about that were unfounded or not unfounded, but like proven wrong. I think another thing is that like, sometimes I forget, I'm guilty of forgetting that like two Star Wars shows can exist, can coexist. Um, if that makes sense. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I was expecting, like, one to overshadow the other. And I, I won't say that Andor overshadowed Tales of the Jedi because there's, like, a whole other audience that we don't know that's out there that's probably watching both and not talking about it. And, you know, it, it's it's Star Wars. Like, people love Star Wars no matter what is released. Like, they're going to watch it as long as, like, the name is stamped on it and yeah. they know the characters. So, but yeah, in my personal opinion, I was afraid and then it was that like was kind of those fears were kind of thrown away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I feel talk, that. We can talk about episode 8 now. And we Let's thought we it. would we thought we would do it in um planet order. <laughs> so we would do Coruscant first and the characters on Coruscant. Um, and we'll, we'll include where Luthen went to see a very special someone that we were so excited <laughs> to see again. And then we were going to do um, Ferrix and then Narkina 5. We'll end with that because we would spend the most time on that for a very specific reason. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, 
Okay, so on Coruscant, we finally got Dedra and Cyril meeting, which was, was so exciting. I remember when she walked into the room, and I don't know why, but she was like the last person who I thought would walk into the room, even though we saw her assistant walking to like get him in his place of work. And that like specific scene with the assistant and the other two and like Cyril's boss and then I'm assuming like another member of the ISB with him with like the little mouse droid. Yeah. They were literally in sync. Like I don't know if you saw that too but the way that they were walking so in sync and like it's such a small detail but I haven't stopped thinking about it. The way that the way that they are so like prim and proper and like yeah there's no individuality with them and it was such literally just like a couple seconds but I haven't been able to get it out of my head no I and that's a really cool point because it just those little things set Mm -hmm. set like the imperials apart you know what I'm saying like it sets things apart and it reminds me of when um Denise in an interview was talking about how she found how she was going to walk and like how she was going to stand. And um, one of the crew was like, or maybe it was the director um, was telling her to put her hands, try putting her hands behind her back, you know, to hold like the way they do, the way they stand. And she did. And it was like, and she was walking like that. And she said, it was like, it just clicked from then. Like that's who she was. And that's like, you know, so that, that reminds me of that, you know, um, but wow. So Cyril has been busy. (laughs) He has been, um, putting in requests or not requests. Yeah. I think it was requests. It was basically, he was trying to find information about Cassian, but he was, Mm -hmm. um, he was saying Cassian was all these different things as an employee of the Bureau of Standards, I think, or he was like auditing, not auditing him, but like trying to submit, like trying to get information about Cassian through his job. And what was, (laughs) what I, I I noticed this parallel and Jin is going to come up in every episode, I think, but the last thing that he mentioned was one of the same reasons Jin was tried. Um, It was the, for the, forging of imperial documents yeah and that's one of the things that Draven says and it's in the book it's in rebel rising so when they said that i was like i feel like somebody read rebel rising. yes yes yeah. oh and so the leonardo uh, dicaprio gif where he's like snapping and pointing at the tv <laughs> yes yeah um and so when cyril is taken in um i just love how he's unapologetic about what he did like you could tell he's unapologetic he's like please listen to me like he's a little bit intimidated but also not like he's trying to get through to Dedra and Dedra's just like doesn't care like she's thinks so little of him but he's like no freaking listen to me and the fact that he didn't actually write the report on Ferrix but he had to sign it yeah that um it's like Blevin trying to hide Almost like trying to, I, oh, okay, almost like it, it reminded me of the part in the meeting where I always forget his name, um, Pedagas or Pedagas? Partagas? Partagas, where yeah. he was like the little that we actually know has been troubling. And then it reminds me of like Blevin probably didn't put everything in that document 
for the same reasons. Exactly. And then people not the steer guard employees like not reporting the N95. That is the mask name, not the N95. The star the star path unit. <laughs> no, yes. you're good. Okay. The star path unit. And they didn't report that either. So the the quote unquote rebels, they're not really like rebels at this point, are like known as that. Capital R. Um yeah. they were getting away with a lot, it seems. Because the empire the like the different the bureaucracy, the different the people in charge of these different um sectors and everything, they didn't want to be in trouble. So yeah. they were it, they were basically <laughs> they were basically hiding the rebels for them. And this reminds me of the episode of the Bad Batch. This was like a weird thing that came into my mind, I guess. And it's been a while since I've watched it, but the what is it called? It's uh war mantle when they like remove the clones and they bring in regular people. I remember that there was like hesitance. Hesitance? I think so. Whatever. I know English. But there was reluctance to bring in regular quote-unquote people because of like the di- the difference in their opinions. And, and, and that's what this made me think about. Yes, is, like, that's such a good point. The, the like reluctance to bring in people that weren't born to, because clones were made to fight to be loyal yeah to be loyal and like you know good soldiers follow orders but then they bring in people with like their own individual like mindsets and ideals and thoughts and then things start kind of going south or not the way that they want so yeah no that's a good point that's a good point (laughs) thanks (laughs) (laughs) no because I hadn't like that's yeah, because when you get different individual like personalities and and desires and um, uh, agendas, because everybody mm-hmm. has a different agenda, and it's hard to get everybody to be on the same page, even if there's like you know all these regulations in place that are you're supposed to be following, they yeah. weren't, and so that definitely, yeah. And then with Dedra, she's like trying to uh, trying to get um, Yularen to give her what she needs for Ferrix. and he's mm-hmm. like this is a this is quite a list or quite a wish list and she's like yeah, yeah. but it's it's nothing compared to all this lost equipment that you know that we've yeah. just been losing so yeah. it's better to just do this find the people that are stealing our stuff and yeah. like you know and I was so like when I watched that scene and they're listing off all these things that she wants mm-hmm. and I the f- I really think it has to do with that ship that we see in some of the trailers mm-hmm. that that Luthen is attacking um, because it's got like dishes on it, which are like listening devices, like a like a surveillance communication ship. It's Imperial. And I it reminded me of one that we saw in Rebels and I looked it up and compared it and it does look very similar in like it's use like what it's used for. Um, and so I'm wondering if that's one of the things that she requested and that Luthen's going to like destroy it so that the Imperials can't like call out of Ferrix. I don't know. Well, what's so interesting is that, is that um, like the conversation between Clea and Luthen when she was like, you're slipping and he was like, I'm not slipping, but 
he was like, I, I took, I took Cassian on the, like my ship, like, was I insane? And then it just makes me think about like how Luthen sees so much potential in, and I won't get too much into this part, but yeah, sees so much potential into Cassian that it's going to eventually, in Cassian, that it's going to eventually lead to what you just brought up. Like he, that planet in that scene is Ferrix. Like, yeah, I'm so pretty sure. He's going to go back to Ferrix. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, yeah. I won't go much into that, but that just reminded me. It's exciting. And oh, another thing. Uh, the Partagast, the, the yeah. commander. I don't he... think we'll ever figure out his name, but <laughs> I know In every name. single episode, we're going to be like, what, what, how do you say it? What was his um, name again? <laughs> but he, uh, him defend, basically like sticking up for Dedra, like trying to convince you, Lauren. I mean, but there's a lot on the line for him too in this situation, but I think he believes in her, which is kind of, I guess I'm not going to be rooting for them, but it was interesting to see that he is like putting all his eggs in a basket with Dedra. Like, well, this is what we need to do. What was interesting is that in episode seven, when he, when Blevin and Dedra are kind of going at it at the meeting and then he's listening and he is essentially, the thing is, is that he knows that there's like a power um a power I don't know the struggle no like a Blevin is a man and you know oh yeah like an imbalance there we go a power imbalance between them because he says that when we first meet Dedra essentially and Mm -hmm. then in that episode when he's listening to Dedra and she's defending herself for doing what she did and Blevin is like imagine if we had all acted like that and then Pedagas is like yes imagine because the way she acted literally like opened the door like she caught Luthen's mistake with everybody like swept under the rug like she brought to light so I, I her him defending her in front of Euleren was huge I think yeah because yeah and if what you said I think that you said this to me I can't remember but if this was because like if Callus and Rebels being able to go to Lethal and like take an entire starship with him because of rebel activity is because of what Dedra did, then that's like an insane connection. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Cause I I love that. Cause it's so subtle, but it makes so much sense considering the time that this is happening in, like the year that it's happening in. So the fact that the rebels of um activity on Aldani caused the um empire to like put more faith and more um give sorry give the ISB more power that's why that's probably why Callus was able to take a whole like star destroyer <laughs> to Lothal for a couple rebels so I did want to talk about Cyril a little bit like going back to it because I know we were talking about him earlier but there was a quote that he had said where he said, is there, can we ever be too aggressive in preserving order? And somebody brought up the fact that like Cyril doesn't realize that what he's doing is wrong in his own head. And I think that that is like the form of the scariest, of, of the scariest like antagonist because he doesn't realize what he's doing is 
wrong like what is in his head is what's right like he's convinced himself and I don't know what do you think about that like do you think that he I guess I'll, I'll ask you like do you think that he knows what he's doing is wrong or is he so blinded by bringing like Cassie into justice that he doesn't realize that it is wrong he thinks that he's preserving order the right way I think yeah so I think that he doesn't have the same mentality that Dedra has Dedra Mm -hmm. knows um that there's like she she has a more not I wouldn't say aggressive but she's definitely more I guess insidious would be a way like she knows what she's doing she knows the cost and the and the effect of the things that she does um we know that she's probably i mean we know by the end of the episode that she has experience in torturing people and getting information out of people um so i i feel like if cyril was faced with that or i don't think that cyril is capable of doing what she is doing or what she has done i don't think that he i think that if he saw it it would affect him i don't think that he would be able to stomach that um i think that he go ahead sorry in that new trailer we the new like promo tile uh picked thing that star wars posted he's in he's on ferrix with the clothes and he's like the clothes of the people and he's essentially like caught in the explosion so i do wonder if he goes against like everybody else's orders and he sees the the, like shit that the empire has done i I don't know no and i think that he doesn't realize i don't think that he has he has seen what the empire has done i don't think he's experienced it and i don't think that he's um aware of how awful they are i he might be to an extent but you can just tell that he's not on the same brain waves as the ISB officers. He's like, it's almost like he doesn't even realize that he's in danger with them. <laughs> like when he's in there constantly talking to her, like back to her almost, stopping her. Like it's it's like he doesn't realize just how dangerous they are and, and the trouble he could be in. Um, even though he wants to do the right thing, they're going to shut him up and stop him if he doesn't stop. And so I think that he's going to see the true face of the empire in a way he has never seen it before. Um, because when he was a corpo on Morlana one, he wasn't around the empire. He was just in a security firm, basically a company. So he didn't see like stormtroopers all the time and everything. And who knows what the rest of his history is like. And like on Coruscant, everything's fine there's no like beating down people because everybody just goes along with the empire anyway so yeah i don't i don't think that he and that is true i think that his thought process um can be like really dangerous but i do believe that i just think that he's not gonna get worse or that he will like but then maybe not you know what i mean like i don't think he's gonna get to dedra's point yeah, it's the meme format where it's like, I can fix him. And Dedra's like, I can make him worse. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh. Which tra- kind of transitions into, because Coruscant at like the same time, Mon Mothma is having these like, 
I'm assuming they're like dinner parties where she's inviting people so she can get more votes when there's a throwaway line about the embassy like as if they have embassy members there yeah and Perrin asks Mon like what's the what's the agenda for tonight or like what basically like what's the reason for this dinner tonight and she's like I forgot what she said exactly but like essentially just like trying to get votes for a certain <laughs> like bill <laughs> or something she's trying like to stop the she said she, she said something to the effect of stop trying to stop the emperor's latest overreach yeah there we go so she Which... needed so she needed votes for whatever she was going to put forward for that or to stop to against the emperor yeah and that scene felt very like repetitive from the last episode where we got like that dinner party but this scene actually had so many important lines the two scenes that it was like two or three but the first one I really wanted to touch on was the window scene yeah um, which the the woman asked that Mon just met um she asked like and Perrin asked it like uh, gave the question to Mon but he was like how often do we look out this window and she was like not quite often enough and somebody pointed this out so I won't take credit for this thought but it has been like making me think so she lives obviously on like the higher levels of Coruscant and as we know in like the Clone Wars and like other forms of media like Coruscant is like it goes down pretty low and like the lower you go like the lower class you are I suppose I don't know the right verbiage but no, that that basically sums it up yeah so Mon lives city level like above everywhere like what we were used to seeing in like the clone wars with the jedi temple and stuff and this made me think more about it but mon doesn't look out and she doesn't look down either so she's she's i don't want to say mon because i love mon and the thought that she the thing is is that mon is like a very flawed character as much as she is like a a a winning one for lack of a better yes. word yeah she does she is mostly focused on like the issues at hand in her life so but she is also thinking about the people on like other planets like the the gormans and she's she's trying to help people so it basically says in in the post that the narrative criticizes mon as a member of the privileged elite while also acknowledging that she desperately cares about doing good, that she can be tragic and ridiculous and deeply naive, but also a necessary component to the rebellion, that she doesn't ever even look out the window from her home at the highest levels of Coruscant while most of the planet exists below the surface when there's nothing to see, but also her life is deeply, deeply lonely, but also not at all comparable to the tragedies of people suffering on the ground. The narrative allows her to be all of these things at once <laughs> and it ends with that is extremely hot to me personally <laughs> but that post was unbelievable because it's so true because it is. is deeply naive and that's okay because the best characters have character flaws yes and that scene really like put a light on it I don't know what do you think no I agree because um, we're seeing what a narrow window of mm -hmm. um, she has like or in her life 
like of, of uh, what she can see and mm -hmm. what um, she is aware of. I know that she's aware of the Empire's atrocities, mm -hmm. but I think that she's stuck in a mindset in when I mean a narrow window, I think in her mind of, of I think she still thinks that she can make a difference in the Senate. And we know that she's going to get to a point where she realizes she can't and that she's just basically swimming upstream and nothing's working. So I think, mm -hmm. I think that really highlights that not only does she not, she doesn't experience what we know that the rest of the galaxy is experiencing under the empire, but she also hasn't come to the conclusion that what she's doing now is basically ineffective. Um, she can try and like steer her peers minds one way, like she was trying to do in that one conversation at the party um, about uh, uh, the amount of um, what was, they were talking about basically the empire so, cracking down more, the sentencing mm -hmm. and everything, the prison sentences. Oh yes. Yeah. They were talking about that. Other scene I wanted to mention. Yeah. Yes. And mm -hmm. so she's trying to like make them kind of think one way, like she's questioning them, yeah. but is that really going to do anything in the end? Like, are yeah. they really going to change their minds? Cause she's good at that, but is mm -hmm. it working? And we're going to see that she realizes that because we know where she ends up. So, yeah, well, it was so the asking questions rather than like trying to convince these people. It's almost like she's trying to like alter their, yeah. their thoughts. She's like, well, how, how much, uh, what was it? Was it how much, uh, how much blank is too much? like how much preserving order is too much preserving order I can't remember like the exact basically words. yeah yeah but yeah I, I she's so like interesting I I made this post about her for this episode and I want to go back to it because I thinking about this specific scene is of her on Coruscant um in this episode she was showing herself I, I was saying it was impressive watching her sh showcase her ability to mold and deflect conversations and transform herself into different versions of herself as she moved throughout the party that night. Mm -hmm. um, she was like more of herself with Tay. She was more yeah. like open and like she was business with him, but she was also personable with him because he's so close to her. So she was sort of more herself with him than she was like uh, amiable but like unyielding, um, yeah. like when she's asking questions and leading the thoughts of her peers. But then when she goes to the couple at the window that she's never met before, she's all bubbly and, and um, uh, pleasant. She like that, yeah, that like permanent yeah. smile. And yeah. then and you then... see, sorry, you see that oh, yeah, just so good. You go transition with Lita. And I don't know if anybody else noticed this, but... Do you know how last time she was with Tay and Lita came up and then how this time Lita came up? Mon says it like the exact same way. Like she's ha she has yeah. this rehearse where she's like, yeah, Lita. like every time I, yeah. and then I feel like Lita just sees right through it. And I feel like Lita, she's is, like, I already met him. <laughs> yeah. She's like, I already met him. Like Mon has this like whole thing down. She's rehearsed it. She's got this mask on that she puts on even like in front of her own kid and what's interesting is that the Star Wars like episode guide said that Lita is 13. So she's pretty young. But yeah. she like realizes this in her mother, which means that she's like a very obs the thing is is that like kids are very observant. 
and we're kind of seeing that with Lita and I think that Lita has like a bigger role than we think I am excited to see what that is because I, I and I, I know some people are like, she's a spy and she's like this. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't think so. I don't think so. But I think she could, she has an insight that might end up coming around to bite one like Mon in the ass, maybe. I don't know. Like she or could. Or maybe even like Perrin in the ass. Yeah. Like, no, I mean, like, I feel like Lita is, like you said, kids are observant. And I don't think that Lita would ever intentionally harm her mother or her father. Um, and I don't, I almost don't even want to say that this is something that I really think could happen, but to play to the people who do think Lita could have like a negative effect in the story. Um, I could see them being questioned and Lita accidentally saying something. Uh, but I don't think that she's, it's any more malicious than that. And I honestly don't know that that's even going to happen. It's not something that I, I think that will happen. But if she, if that did, I feel like it would be more in that, that way. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting. It, it the is. way that they've added her in because I know she's there she means she's there for a reason so yeah hmm. it, it was this is just like a fun fact it's not anything like like about the episode but Lita was Lita was originally in like a 1993 source book where it where like Mon was married and had a kid and it was Lita obviously not the same character but they took Lita like the name and then That's she was, awesome. yeah, I thought this was cool. And then she was again, I think in like 2005 or 2006 in like another book. And then they kind of brought Lita into canon with this, which I wonder if that's like Pablo Hidalgo or like somebody like that who like knows all this research, <laughs> knows all this like information. I think like, that's well, cool that they're doing that. I think I'm so not too. someone who thinks, I'm not someone who's like, they have to make all the old canon canon. I'm not that kind yeah. of person. Or it wasn't even canon back then, but I'm not the type of person who's like, they have to bring all that, all that old stuff back. But I do believe that, hey, why not? If you're going to make Mon be married and have a kid, why not name the daughter Lita? Like, yeah. that's just, I think that's really cool. It is um, cool. I was going to say one more thing about how she's transitioning, like how she's kind of showing herself, Mon, um, mm-hmm. to be different versions of herself throughout the episode at the very last moment that you see her in this episode it's like she drops every mask and we see how she truly yeah. feels inside um mm-hmm. as she's walking away which i thought it was so chilling to see her be all these different people and then at the end we kind of get her actual which was in the trailers a lot but to actually see it with the context of the episode yeah that was really cool because i think like when that when that trailer dropped people were like oh i wonder who she's like walking towards but it was really yeah. like who was she walking away from? Yeah. It's like, oh, that's so spicy, Star Wars. You got us. There was so (laughs) Oh yeah. There were so many chill, like chill, like I got chills moments in this episode. And I still oh this episode was probably I loved the first three. Like I think that the first three were probably one of my favorites. And episode four I loved, but this one was so good. I think it like bumped its way to the top spot. (laughs) Yeah, for me too. I I mean, I love the whole show. I can't really say there's any one episode I didn't like, but this one I specifically, I adore this episode. I feel like I'm going (laughs) to, I feel like we're getting the next episode is going to even be better. I know. I don't don't want to pick up each other, but I'm just so excited. Um, Um, Yeah. Jinx. (laughs) (laughs) We're so connected. Yes. Um, that leads me into Ferrix because now all the stories are kind of like coming together. Oh wait, uh, what about Luthen? 
Did we talk oh, about yes. Ruth and Clea? Sorry, no, no, sorry to interrupt you. No, but no, it's totally Clea. okay. Let's let's go. Let's, uh, let's jump right into it because we I have mean, a very because... important cameo that we can't yes. not talk about. Yes, um, it was Saul Guerrero. Spoilers. <laughs> But, uh, oh my gosh! Big um, Rogue One girlies. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, hold on, hold on a second. Do we want to oh, go sorry. to Ferrix first because of how it ends and leads into Luthen and Clea? I guess we could jump around. I don't know because what's you... okay. Yeah. Well, oh, we'll just Luthen and Clea. We open with Luthen trying to get Clea's attention, and she's mm-hmm. he's like Clea, what? <laughs> like walks in, and she's listening to. Bix trying to contact them from Ferrix and yeah. she's adamantly against answering um and she's like telling Luthen what Bix is wanting that scene felt like such like a juxtaposition or like a parallel at the same time to I don't want to compare characters but no. but Claire's like Claire's dedication is so similar to like Cyril's dedication or like Dedra's it's two opposite yes. sides of the spectrum yeah okay yeah so yeah. like Luthen is like yes like we could pick up like we like she might know but Clea is so like adamant on being careful and you could she told she tells that to Vel she's like a, a, a calm maid is just as dangerous as a calm received she is like so and then like the whole reaction to her she's such an interesting character Clea talking about like Terramin and Skeen she was like Vel was obviously like deeply affected by all of their deaths after Aldani but Clea's like eh like you win some you lose some and yeah I was like oh we we are seeing like the type of people in the rebellion that are so just as dedicated this, yeah oh man this actually made me think i don't want to i don't i know that you might have some things to say about this but her the way that she is reminds me of draven oh okay i, just, <laughs> I have to think about it a little bit you know like mm-hmm. with the willingness to do what needs to do yes quote unquote, it does hit me yes to be done mm-hmm. and she's like you gotta go kill cassian Tavel. yeah okay she's definitely uh, can you yeah. see it which is funny because a lot of people are saying that like bell is a lot like the cassian kind of in rogue one which i can kind of see i can kind of see it too i think people are mostly saying that about like they're comparing bell and sentence Jin and cassian oh yeah 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 so i think in that context but like bell as a person i don't think so but like in the context where She's a partner with Sinta then. Yes. Well, okay. And so if we go along with this thought, um, she doesn't want to, she's like, tell me to cut off Ferrix. Like she's telling Luthen, she's yeah. like, come on, give me the, give me the okay. And I feel like I don't want to just keep bringing up Draven, but I do believe like the intelligence operatives probably towards um, like Kraken, General Kraken and Draven are the intelligence operatives underneath of uh, Mon Mothma eventually and I feel like they probably have a very similar relationship to her as Clea did with Luthen I know mm-hmm. Luthen's a little bit more I don't want to use the word extreme but I feel like Luthen and Mon is going to be a lot like Luthen was in some ways mm-hmm. um, you can make the you can sort of see the parallel there um, but I feel like 
Draven would be like, hey, Mon, tell me that, like, I want to do this. We need to do this. Give me the okay. And she's probably one that's like, uh, you know, about certain things. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes, which this brings up another point about this conversation. Sometimes we see that they go against their leaders. Like, so Draven never told Mamothma that he told Cassian to go kill Galen. And so Clea, I don't think that Clea told Luthen that she told Vel to kill Cassian because Luthen's like, oh, aren't Vel and Cinta on? They're on Ferex, right? Which they've been on Ferex. Like, did Clea, like, did he not... I don't know if he knows that Clea told her to do that because she was telling Vel, Luthen doesn't, did she say that Luthen didn't know she went to meet her or that she shouldn't be there? Well, Vel was essentially like, like, why didn't he come? And then Clea kind of explained why it was her instead, but there's definitely like the implication that. But did she? uh, Yeah, that she probably didn't tell Luthen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which, so. (laughs) Yeah, which. I like it looks like it looks like it's weird because now we have the facts about Belle that she's a rich girl trying to run away from her family and then there's like there's been a lot of chat chatter about Vel either being Luthen's kid or even like Mon Mothma's kid but we found we found out that like Lita's there but like I don't know she could be neither of their kids and just like be her own person (laughs) but like I I don't know I think that there is more to all of these characters than what we're being shown and then it's all gonna like come to light very soon yeah but it was just interesting to see their dynamic how it's from the moment we first seen them we're like oh she's just an assistant she barely talks to this yeah we're like oh she's very much involved she's very much she's probably even going I don't want to say she's undermining Luthen because she doesn't or she's mm-hmm. I don't think that's her goal I think her goal is to try to get Luthen on the same page because she basically says that she's like come on I need you to wake up I need you to like we got to things are in motion and we need to like be acting that way well so my, what I really liked about this scene as well is that when she was like you're slipping and he's like I'm not slipping and then she said I know like she's it feels like she's like seeking to understand in a way I don't know how to describe it but yeah she's definitely one I want to know more about yeah no me too um yeah I oh that was such an interesting scene and how then we see Luthen go to uh yes and I'm trying to remember I know that doesn't really matter in the end but this uh, is this is essentially like a couple of months after spoilers for rebel rising but like it's a couple of months after tamsia prime which is where luthan went so this is what was really interesting was that this is where luthan or on tamsia prime and i'm sorry if i'm getting this wrong it's been a while since i've read rebel rising but i remember this he this is one of the first missions that saw is working as a team with somebody outside of his people and it goes to summarize it it goes to shit and everyone gets injured and there's been explosion there was explosions and like the empire finds out that the rebels are on and uh one of the people on saw's team goes against 
Saw and just like a whole bunch of shit goes down, which essentially leads Saw to drop, to leave Jin there, which is what we hear in Rogue One when she says, you dumped me, like you told me to stay in a bunker till daylight, which happens in Rebel Rising, which Beth probably worked off of that from Rogue One. But Mm -hmm. it makes me think like that scene in Andor where he's he's refusing to work with other people it like makes me wonder if that's the reason because he just worked months before with other people it put a lot of his team and himself and essentially like his daughter in danger and then now we see this saw does this make sense what I'm saying yes yes it does and I I thought this was interesting how they're playful with each other like oh it was you that did all Donnie and then he was like was it you and he was and like, then he's was like, it he's, you? like <laughs> he's like well now I know it was you yeah. um but then he's like saying he's <laughs> he's saying like aren't you tired of like be- being behind the scenes or whatever Saw says this to Luthen and then Luthen says aren't you tired of fighting with people who agree with you yeah which I was like oh wow that tr- but that tracks and you know saw's like oh yeah but like that tracks with his character i love how they really preserved saw's character and his um how he's definitely for the cause but in his own way so yeah and then one of saw's lines or was it luthan where one of them says oppression breeds rebellion yeah i think it was luthan i think so too that was such that's like peak Star Wars. <laughs> it is. I, it's the the writing in the show, like the pen was on fire when they were writing it. <laughs> I Yeah. The impact that these lines have had that have like opened up so many windows in my brain over it. Like every piece of like rebellion Star Wars media that media that we've gotten now feels like it was put the like I don't know how to describe it. There's been like a light shining. I don't know. It felt so like surface level, but now everything feels so much deeper. Yes. Yes. There we go. I feel like this this show and everything that it um it reveals yeah. to us about yeah, yeah. I think it's gonna reveals. make everything else richer. Yes. That's especially exactly... yeah, I'm gonna rewatch Rebels after Andor is Yes, done. exactly. I was about to say this will make Rebels uh so much more impactful and already was um knowing everything that came just before during like the first season um we're already making those connections with the uh callus bringing a star destroyer to lethal and him having so much power but he's just the isb agent so yes i am i am so thankful for this show and i thought it was interesting going back to saw how he uh, so we're talking about how he doesn't like want to work with other people and how Luthen's like hey come on you gotta work with you gotta work with us like we're not gonna get anywhere if mm-hmm. we don't come together and um so when Luthen or not Luthen when Saw is like all these people he's naming off all these different uh like um rebellion groups mm-hmm. that are like fractured or they're different you know they're not all together and he's like naming them all off and He's saying they're all lost, you know? And so what are you? And Luthen's like, I'm a coward, but I'm the person that's trying to like tell you we're not going to win. We're not going to pull yeah. this off unless we come together. And and I feel like that yeah. was 
a really important line because vulnerability is like really important in these times like uh, when he's like i'm a coward because i'm afraid that the 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 empire will like like essentially to summarize what he said he was just like he's afraid that the empire is going to overcome the rebellion like there won't be enough rebels to overtake does that make sense like i'm just yeah. trying to summarize what he said they and won't that, that, that we won't ever be able to fight the empire that that's yeah. what he's saying which it's we know that they will be but he doesn't know that he essentially just right now has this like dream which makes me think of saw's line in rogue one where he says save the dream but yeah it just all feels so like real like it it, it the show is very like raw and real and emotional and I feel like I'm there yeah. with them, which is, I think that that's the intention that Andor is supposed to make you feel is that you're there with them struggling too, because yeah. that line that Vel says is still, is still applying to all of these episodes, you know, episodes later when she says everybody has their own rebellion because there is this bigger cause, but then there's causes that they're fighting in like the reason why they're fighting inside them if that makes any sense like they all have these reasons and it's just interesting to see like I I think I made a post about this but it's so fascinating to see how each character displays that like why they fight or why they're hesitant to fight or why they're afraid or why they're brave enough to fight it's just every actor just does like an amazing job with it and it's so cool to see and I don't think that (laughs) I know that we keep praising it but I think that it deserves all of this praise is that I I don't think that we'll ever see a Star Wars like this again (laughs) I I agree I thought that with Rogue One and now we have Andor so who knows maybe Andor will inspire a future series or something like that no, and when you're talking about how uh, how impactful this series is and how I feel like it's very relevant to, I think it's very relevant to current affair or current events, um, the, the stuff we experience in our lives um, or other people do more and more so than even us. But um, I, 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 there was a quote recently because there was a Toby Haynes um, interview and it was, he was talking about how he was oh, having yeah. a conversation with Tony and he was like, basically to the point, he was like, this is really, is this really on Disney? Like he said, the first thing he said to Tony was like, this oh, is really yes. bold. He's like, this is really bold stuff. And Tony was basically like, yeah, it's all conscious. Like I'm making the point with this show. And so we're right to read into this. We're right to feel connected and that it's, um, yeah we're right to feel all these things about the series because that's the intention i love that i love it yeah it's uh that that uh i think it was the hollywood reporter i can't remember but that whole article was like a really interesting read and i hope we get more articles like that because it just really i feel like humanizes the show or like more than it already is going off of the quote just saying the full one is this on disney plus i was really shocked that's the first thing i said to tony i was like this is bold stuff and he was like yeah it's all conscious i'm making a point 
which is that's exactly what Andor is doing both in the show and I feel like in real life as well in in the show they're all trying to make a statement and Detra says that in announcement she said they were like she was like this wasn't just a robbery I think that this was an announcement yes oh the chills I just got <laughs> and it's so which makes me want to talk about the Ferrix arc with Bix and Brasso Let's and Marva there was just like a lot that was said but like wasn't touched upon which I hope that they will so I'll bring up the first part but like when Bix and Brasso are talking after they're visiting Marva Marva obviously is she doesn't feel good I think that we're gonna see an outcome from that and I'm not prepared but um Brasso mentions the daughters of Ferrix and she was the president of it and I want to know more about that because I feel like that is going to be touched upon in the next in the next barracks arc, which I think is eleven and twelve. But yeah, um, she I don't have much to say about that besides that. Like I just think that when Brasso like mentioned that it is was not just something that was supposed to be in passing, but it also could very well be. Because I know that we see a rebellion on Ferrix, so who knows? But that also led Vix to say that she was trying to open the floodgates under Hotel Bridge to let the rebellion in and take them by surprise. And then in the trailer, we do see Cassian on Ferrix again, underground. And I think it's all going to come together. So I, I and there's water. Yes, that's what genuinely makes me feel that everything that is being said is important later. Yeah, so. that's why I love getting into the nitty gritty of every piece of dialogue because there's literally no shot, no piece yeah. of dialogue that is throw away in the show. That's exactly why I think that like the Daughters of Ferrix thing is going to be, uh, yeah. I, and it's already been proven because of that trailer shot that like the the thing that Bix said about the floodgates is obviously exactly. going to come to life again but it just and then leading like a lot happened but also like a, not too much happened but like with Sam, salmon so his name is salmon pack but you know they were calling him pack he and then i have so many thoughts coming into my brain at once that my mouth <laughs> can't but like pack is who told Bix about Luthen. So obviously Pack knows a lot more about Luthen than Bix does. And she says this to Cassian. Cassian thinks that she's lying in episode seven, but she's not. And obviously like Bix is going to Luthen for help because he she thinks that he knows where Cassian is, and then he's not picking up, and then Luthen doesn't know where Cassian is, and blah blah blah. But um she is taken in. And a lot of people think that all of this is happening and it's Cassian's fault. And I guess I just wanted to touch upon this because I don't I don't think what is happening in Bix's life or on Ferrix, it's no longer Cassian's fault, quote unquote. And a lot of people were blaming Cassian, both in the show and out of it. And Bix is like her own woman and can make her own decisions. And I think that in this part, like when, see, this is the a lot of thoughts coming out at once. So probably this won't sound very like I'm tracking at all. But um, 
when she tells Cassian, like, this won't be the first time that I'm going to forget you. She obviously hasn't forgotten Cassian. Like, she's helping Marva. She cares about Marva. She's wondering where he is. And it's just sad to see that people are still blaming what's happening in Bix's life on Cassian. Because I I don't think that that's it. Like, I think that she's doing this out of pure, like, I don't... love doesn't always mean romantic intent so I think that she's but I do think that she's doing this out of pure love because she's a genuinely good person and this is where the everyone has their own rebellion comes in because Bix I think wants to forget Cassian but she can't yeah and and he obviously had like a big impact in her life And I'm not saying this in like a romantic aspect at all. I think that she's genuinely having like a difficult time. And it's hard because they, none of them realized that the imprint that the empire was making on the galaxy would be so big. And I think that it's finally coming to life now because Vix and Cassian's like business was obviously succeeding when they weren't paying attention. And and now the Empire is because of Dedra and Bix is getting in trouble and Pack is getting in trouble. And I want to hear what you have to think, though, because I could go on. No, no. Uh, yeah, I believe that um, Cassian is definitely not at fault for this. Uh, I think that I don't know that you can really place blame in this yeah. in this whole situation. You just can't place blame on people. Um, I, you, I think we the thing that the only blame is the empire oh yes exactly exactly Mm -hmm. but for these characters i just wouldn't blame any of them because everyone's reacting um organically and out of their own like they're from their hearts like you know bix is doing this because she you know cassian's a dear friend to her um and it's interesting because uh she obviously cares a lot about marva too and she tells you know, Bras was like, oh, I need to be coming around here more to check on Marva. She's like, well, she's not your mother. But then he's like, well, she's not yours either. Because, and I don't think that Bix, like, Bix was like, oh, you know, like, yeah, I guess. But, like, Bix doesn't think of it like that. She's just doing it because she genuinely cares about Marva, and obviously by extension, Cassian, too. Mm -hmm. And I think that they're family to her. Mm -hmm. She obviously doesn't have I mean, from what we can see, she doesn't have family around anymore. Cassian and Marva and Brasso are like her family. And mm-hmm. I I think that she's taking care of them because they're like that to her. Um, yeah. And what's really interesting, and it kind of, this, I feel like could transition into like the prison arc, the present part of the story, but it's funny not funny, but similar to what's happening in the prison, I feel like is what's happening on barracks is that when the empire came in, people started essentially like, quote unquote, going against each other. So like Tim told on Cassian and then people went against Cassian. They thought that because he came home to barracks after he he killed those corpos, they were like, you killed them and then you brought him home and but the real blame was on. It was just making people put blame on everybody else but the Empire. Yeah. So it, like, Bix, I think, not- is starting to notice the lack of camaraderie that's now existing on Ferrix, and it's scary to think that. Like, right now, she only has Marva. 
She only has Brasil and she really only has herself and Pac and Wilman, his son. But Pac was just taken in by the Empire. And Pac probably told the Empire who else was a part of it, which was Bix. So yeah. I don't know. I, I <laughs> and I don't think I don't know that like I mean Pac I don't wanna say we don't know much about Pac, but I wanna say that he probably didn't want to out Bix. Yeah, I don't think that he um, did either. I, I don't think, think he is afraid. Yeah, I mean, he is the one who let her use the comm unit. They had no idea that they were being listened to. It was a, mm-hmm. I don't want to say it was a, I mean, I guess you could call it a mistake that they did that, but they had no idea that they were being listened to by the Empire. So, which I think that's where that uh, surveillance ship must be coming into the picture because how would they have heard Bix without like a listening? like a something to catch the frequencies coming out of ferric so um yeah i which makes me wonder think yeah which makes me wonder if that's where how they figure out where like luthan is they didn't pick up but they obviously yeah so i don't think the connection was made i don't know that they'll find out um but that so vel and cinta were on ferrix together so cinta got off baldani which was a relief (laughs) Or yes, and it was interesting how she came. She's like, "Where were you?" And she's like, "Vel's like telling her that her like drink is cold, like because she got her a drink and her drink's cold now." Um, I, I loved seeing more of Cinta and how Cinta is as a person because yes, we know that she loves Vel or like she cares about her, but she's like it was almost like oh, I cringed for Vel because like the way that she was talking to her, Cinta even said so like that the cause is supersedes their relationship like you, they'll just take what's left mm-hmm. you know whatever time whatever chances they have for themselves they'll take that but what's most important is the the mission the the rebellion mm-hmm. and that she had told vel that and i i see that vel's still struggling with that um but ultimately she has to leave. And I just love that. And I know that uh, Toby Haynes had some things to say about this, their relationship in that scene. And I thought it was so beautiful. Um, let me see if I can get it. Uh, I thought it was so beautiful because I love how they're handling. Uh, what do you think? Do you like how they're handling their relationship? How we're seeing the relationship? I do. I like that it's, I, I like that we are seeing the two, like we're seeing a couple, like a unit and the two different responses to what they're fighting for in that. So like Vel, obviously, I think that she wants to fight, but I just think that she's also tired in a way, like she wants to be with Cinta. And that's what the scene with like the cup with her drink was kind of reminding me of is that she was like, it's cold now. I like, she wasn't saying anything about the mission. She was just like focused, like, oh, I got you this, like very mundane. Yeah. Yeah. And then Cinta was obviously like scouting that there was a place to stay. I'm excited to see uh, where they're going to go with it. Like, it, yeah. like seeing them together again. We know, unless they cut this scene, um, there was a shot of Vel on Ferret's um in the trailer but we didn't see that in this episode um but there was also shots of saw and luthan in the trailers that we haven't seen yet so is that him coming back to saw are those not in it anymore i i wanted to see those and so i don't know but 
regardless, um, we know that Vel ultimately leaves, and it was such a cool like scene where like Vel's out the window, and then like Cinta's also looking out a window, and then Joe goes to Cinta. I didn't notice this on the first watch through, but is Cinta looking at Marva's house? Because it shows what she's looking at. She's looking at a house across the street from the where she's staying. It looks like Marva's front door. Because who others? Who's not? It's not. It's not a. It's not Vix's front door. Mm -hmm. And there were they were talking outside of Brasso and uh, Vix were talking outside of Marva's house Mm -hmm. in that scene. I think that Cinta is like casing Marva's house because they're trying to find Cassian. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't she talk to Marva? Oh, please, Cinta, be nice to her. <laughs> if she goes to talk to her, please be nice. Yeah. Um, but no it looks knows. like she's doing that. Yeah, what's, I don't want to say funny, but what's funny is that no one knows where Cassian is and no one, I don't think, will ever, like, find, they're going to find, they're never going to find out, but I think he's going to come back. Yeah. And that's what we see. And he's going to escape prison and stuff, but. Yeah. Which, leads me into it (laughs) i've been wanting to talk about it this whole time this has been the hardest i'm dancing in my seat i'm so excited (laughs) um so we were really excited about this arc for multiple reasons i'll start off with a funny story but so in the first episode we talked about how like Lindsay came to my sister's wedding and at my sister's wedding i was in the wedding party and I would, we were about to do this like funky thing where like the wedding party is announced and we all come out, but Lindsay was at her seat and I was back where I was supposed to be, which was far away. And they had like food for us. And I was handed this like, (laughs) I was handed this like piece of bread with cream cheese, a cantaloupe, and it was wrapped in like prosciutto. And I had been looking forward to that all night. And then I got a, D, a direct message from Elise and it was a screenshot from the trailer and it was, <laughs> it was Melshi. And I remember that the, this is so gross, I'm sorry, but like the food came out of my mouth <laughs> because I guess <laughs> I was like, I was like, are you sure? And she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like that's definitely him. And we only knew, like, the beach scene with Melshi and Cassian. We didn't know, like, how we were going to get there. So I ran to Lindsay, something I was definitely not supposed to do. And I was like, check your phone right now. <laughs> and I ran back. I know. I was, like, standing there. And I'm like, <gasps> And, yeah. So that's how we found out that he was going to be in the prison arc. But we didn't know that until then. But you know this is leading us into why we were so excited about this arc but yeah that summarizes it but yeah we were looking forward to episode eight and we've been calling it the melshi renaissance and and we are just like no but it was we were really excited because if you don't know melshi was first in rogue one he was the one who broke Jin out of prison and then later on Scarif he was also there he's he's in the scenes where like Jin is giving her little speech and uh he's behind Cassian when um he's like declaring his love I'm just kidding that's not what happened (laughs) when he's like telling Jin about like how if they turn back now so 
the people behind Cassie in, in Rogue One, like, obviously had, like, the same thoughts and, like, as Cassian and, like, had a, a strong enough connection with him where they were willing to go to Scarif with him on this suicide mission, essentially. And Melshi was one of them. So to see him in the prison arc <laughs> with Cassian when they're both essentially, like, at their ho- most hopeless was so, and we say this word a lot, was so poignant. <laughs> and I don't know, let's talk about it. That was a big lead up. But. Yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah, he, so, oh my gosh, we were, like, skipping over how he even got to the prison and everything, I know. but Cassie got picked up for no reason, he's on, he goes to Narkina 5, and uh, I just, he was so scared, you could, like, tell, like, on all the scenes, like, he, Diego's acting, he is such notch. a, he, was, he is such a space actor, it reminds yeah. me of Tom Hardy with his voice, and how, like, Christopher Nolan likes to put Tom Hardy with a mask on in a lot of his films because he's such like an eye and voice actor and that's very much like Diego I think but but he doesn't have to say much and his body language yeah like he is so good I think that Cassian only had like a handful of lines yeah but it felt like he said so much more yeah and I think it has to do also with not just his face acting but with the direction of the camera work as well Mm, was so good because every time he would do something or look to something there was a relevant shot to his um either his emotions or his that you could tell or his like way he was looking um it was so good sorry like the 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 eyes front the like constant like eyes front and his eyes would go front and we would see Cassian with his hands on his head and then he'd look again and then we'd see his POV and then it'd be eyes front again I was like this this directing is so top-notch I can't believe this is a Star Wars film it is so he gets there and I uh it was interesting how the I don't know who he what his um title would be I guess he's a you call someone who runs a prison a warden a warden so i suppose he's a warden um addressing them and seeing like hey i bet you're wondering why we don't carry weapons and then basically shocks them and he's like that's only level one of three uh i was like holy crap Uh, the the, i actually can't watch that scene because of the face that cassian makes in it (laughs) i've I've watched it so so painful and i've had to close my eyes it's so painful to see them in pain yeah and, it really is and it's just ugh. so I thought this was I thought that the prison scene was really interesting and I won't take credit for this thought either because my partner pointed it out so shout out to him but the entire prison scene he said felt a lot like George Lucas's film from 1971 uh, THX 1138 or 1138 but the prisoners in that are seen essentially with like the same clothes. Um, I don't think they're barefoot, but they are wearing like very similar prison uniforms and they are like electrocuted throughout the film. Um, And the plot is really interesting. I'll read it just directly from the IMDB, but it is really fascinating to see. It says in the 25th century, a time when people have designations instead of names, 
uh, a man, THX 1138, and a woman, LUH 3417, rebel against their rigidly controlled society. So it would be really interesting to find out if that was like a inspiration for the prison scene. Uh, I want to watch it to make the comparisons. I think, I mean, I I feel like it it must be. It has to be. I Um, think so too. I'll just make one point because when you say that uh, this is the nerd in me coming out, more more of a Star Wars nerd in me than usual, um, the title... Uh, the uh, and especially the one one three eight, that is the uh, clone commando number for mm. clone commando boss. I think it's boss um, from Republic Commando, and I'm pretty sure they brought them into canon now because they showed them in um, a Clone Wars episode. But that's the same number. Uh, I think it's CC one one three eight is boss. Um, <laughs> I'm saying that, but I didn't even look it up. Uh, <laughs> It's now, probably, I'm, now I need to see it. Uh, that's probably right. Um, but that that that's like an homage too to it. And I never knew that, so I'm like, oh my gosh. Uh, even their like sleeping area in THX 1138 is similar to the sleeping area in um, the Andor episode which is really interesting to see and I wonder if they did that purposely and I would love to know <laughs> um I but, I hope that we will yeah and I this prison arc I feel like could go I, we do know it's leading in the it's leading in the direction of a prison riot which is I which is what we know because we see that in the trailer, but I just wonder how it will get to that direction because in the scenes with, in the new little like promo tile that we got, we see Cassian talking to Kino Loy, which Andy Serkis returns to Star Wars. I, I was, love it. I love it too. I I know that he's Snoke and like a lot of people were like, he can't be in Star Wars again because he's Snoke. And people thought that he was going to be Snoke and people thought that he was going to be Zeb, which I feel like would make more sense if he were in like season two, but I'm glad that he's not Zeb. Um, Well, and it kind of is annoying when people uh, put you in a box so much that they think that you're going to be like someone whose face isn't actually seen because I know sometimes like some people have made that point that Andy Serkis's career has been mostly like behind mocap and I was so happy to see him just acting like you know like it's just him yeah yeah like I love that I have this memory of him from 13 going on 30 (laughs) I don't know if you've ever seen it but I have it's been a long time Oh, yeah, I remember when he was in that. And that's the last time. I know he's been in other movies between them, but that's the last movie that I saw him in. So it was just funny to see him in like a Star Wars this many years later. Yeah, and, and he's, yeah. he's he played as um Gollum in Lord of the Rings. That was one oh, of his yes. really big roles. And so, yeah, um, I'm so glad that he got to be himself. <laughs> Uh, and he was so good. Oh, I'm excited to see more of him. But you were talking about how we got a little bit of a scene from presumably the next episode in the little trailer spot. Yeah. Um, and he, Cassian's talking to him about like, right now, they're afraid. 
they well, probably meaning the empire or the guards what is, what is so interesting is that the cassian that we've seen in like the previous few episodes is a cassian that is like really reluctant to like even be to even believe that the empire is like getting bigger and and it's just so fascinating because he is going to literally like turn around and like completely change his like his mindset is just completely going to change and I've said in the past few episodes um that of Stardust Records that Cassian is going to have a turning point and I feel like we're hitting it like I feel like it's coming and I I am sad for him that it has to be this way and I said I think in an episode that we actually didn't get to release um that Cassian is the type of man to play with fire to learn that it's hot yeah and with the electric I don't know like with the it reminded me of the I rethought of that during the electrocution episode well during the electrocution scenes and it's really sad to know that like I made a post about this and this is kind of leading into like a different subject, but like the empire has this facility, which we're assuming is to build Death Star parts, but we don't know that for a fact, but um, it's sad because the empire is putting these people against each other. And Cassian questions Kino when he says that he's like, we play against all these other tables and I play against the other rooms and Cassian is like play and he was like call it what you will and they it's like a it's like a big chess board for the rebellion essentially it's like so fascinating to see but it's also really depressing I, I won't call it anything less than that but they're making them go against each other and they're turning the enemy into each other rather than the bigger the real enemy yeah so I said more I said more about it into depth on my twitter but I don't want to go too much into it but yeah well no and that's a really good point because we also see later on in the episode um there in the prison um when one of the prisoners decide he's had enough and he takes his life um that in all the arguing back and forth among the men um yes when it happens like they're more i mean i don't want to say that they don't care about this person's life but they're really concerned about what that means for them during their work day like hey you're now we're down a man now you know this table's gonna be like not able to keep up and Mm -hmm. they're gonna get fried and like that's what they care about and they're upset that he you know ended his life when in the room I know in the room think, they're like I don't care where he does it but I can't believe he did he shouldn't have done it here yeah like oh when, gosh when some people when they said that they they didn't have any sympathy for him because they did it when he did it when they were sleeping yeah and then the other half of the room was like well now you guys are going to be down a man and <laughs> I think it was Melshi who said this but he was like think about that when you're getting fried yeah and- yeah he did they're literally just all like against each other essentially like and I find it really I'm nervous because we have this table which is the table that it's focusing on the one that Cassian is at table five and (laughs) table five gang (laughs) table five gang but there's an older man at that table 
one who was emphasized in a scene that he is slower than all of the unger the, the other the other men um so we have like so like Melody tells Zal to help him and then he the other guy was like turning around but we haven't heard a lot from him oh <laughs> yeah, and he was telling them to work yeah in the first scene with them he was like work and they're like, yeah, yeah, he's right. We need to get get moving. Because, and I was confused at first, um, but the time, time is very important, obviously, in in their work day. And they were like down by 10 minutes or something in their, I guess in their, um, that table specifically, I believe, was down yeah. like 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And so they need to like catch up. And I thought that was really I guess they have that on their little computer there or there's some way to track it. Cause I'm pretty sure it was, um, Oh, I forget the guy's name. He was like kind of in, not in charge of the table, but he was telling uh, Cassian about everything. Tim, I think it was Tim Bach. Uh, yes. And so That's he some, Jim Bach, was sorry. like, yeah, he was looking at like a little computer thing. Um, but yeah. And I wonder what they're building. Um, I, I know that we have thought a lot about how, the irony of the the terrible irony of the potential that it's a Death Star parts that they're building, which I I would feel like could be a real thing that that's happening. Um, someone said that I saw someone say that the kind of because it's like a star shape, but like the joints move. Um, somebody said that it looked it could be like the bottom housing of a a probe droid. And that like the legs come off of it, but I don't know. I don't know about that. Uh, but who knows? Because they make a lot of probe droids. Um, but I was also wondering, like, so this room probably makes one part, or the level makes one part, and then the next level makes another part, and then I, and so maybe they're all building one thing. We just don't know what the thing is, or maybe it's just a bunch of parts for the Death Star. Who knows? Yeah, but because that makes it makes the uh, I think his name is Ta. I'm so sorry if I'm getting the wrong the names wrong. I think his name is Taga or um, but he was speaking or he was doing sign to somebody across the bridge. So I do wonder if he was discussing like what they were building and like if they know if it's some bigger weapon. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Like well, I I can't wait to see more. Was he the one asking about rebel activity? Was he the yes. one asking about rebel activity? Ho ho. Yeah, he was. So maybe he was a rebel or is interested in the rebels or, um, ooh, ooh, all the little connections are happening in my brain right now. It feels really good. I know. <laughs> um, but uh, talking about the different uh, levels and names for things in the prison, when Cassian's being let into, before he's let into the room, we can definitely see that the guards are like one of them's pretty flighty. He was almost giving Cassian like uh Den. I don't don't ask how I know his name, but his name is Den. <laughs> it's because <laughs> he I was had giving Cassian. Up, I had looked up the actors and like their agencies usually like list who they're playing. And I think that he's gonna be in the entire prison arc because it's lists that he's in three episodes. <laughs> I'm sorry, he's such a meaningless okay. character, but <laughs> no, 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 no. You're good. You're good. We like these little snippets of information. But the guard that was, yeah, gonna let Cassian in, um, or who was like pointing the uh electric prod thing at him, he yeah. 
it was almost giving Cassian counter uh orders like stop move stop look yeah, you know like yeah, he was yeah. really trying to and it, that reminded me of like police officers that give like multiple orders and then it doesn't matter which one you follow you're following the wrong one because they gave yeah. you alternate like the wrong ones that reminded me of that um but that scene is interesting because there's a guard that's late for I guess the switch of like a shift mm-hmm. one half because I think it's like two guards work together like in a little unit and so one of them showed up but the other one didn't and the guy that was controlling the door or the room was annoyed by that like you should be here we're on a schedule yeah and then when that guy does show up he's like yeah when that guy does show up he's like yes exactly he's like oh you know like i'm sorry i'm late and they had to pull a guy from four i guess he was on level one i don't know so it's interesting that it seems like they're short-staffed and that could be something that is really relevant for a prison break and they had the boots the special boots right outside the door so hmm (laughs) all these little things like could could be something but um I also want to bring up because this seemed I wonder why Kino reacted so strongly to Melchie talking to Cassian yeah I wonder why too it it, it definitely and then how everybody ran away when Melchie started talking about it it like zooms out when he's like why don't even look at the number yeah I don't know. <laughs> because, like, I mean, obvi- he was giving him advice to ha- of, like, how to, like, were they trying to tell, was he trying not to have Melshi put the thought in Cassian's head that, like, he really isn't going to get out of here? Because the the hope of most men would be that, okay, this really, like, this is terrible for me, but hopefully eventually I'll get out. But Melshi's basically telling Cassian, you're not going to get out. And yeah. so... I'm assuming people taking their lives is something that happens a lot in this prison. This is a really sad and dark topic to bring up, but I almost wonder if Kino was like, we don't want to be down somebody else. (laughs) Shut up, Melshi kind of deal. I almost wonder if it's like that or if Melshi has caused maybe Melshi speaking to other people has been a problem. (laughs) I was just thinking that. I I called, I called his character an instigator. (laughs) I, yeah. Yeah. And I, he definitely, yeah <laughs> i want to see I, his character more because he obviously is going to have a bigger role because we see him in the behind like on those set photos with cassie and on Niamos. but yeah it's just crazy because they are both gonna have their turning points because i feel like melshi is in he's at his lowest point for lack of like a better description and then cassian is kind of realizing the length the empire is willing to go essentially to punish the people you know what i'm trying to say i i yeah yeah i I hope that i because it seems like at the by the end of the episode or on in the prison cassian is like he's uh i don't want to say he's resigned himself but he's like well he's working well with the others he's committed to the thing he's doing I don't want to say committed but like he isn't showing signs of rebelling against the prison yet you know what I'm saying like against wanting to get out or like we're not seeing him actively trying to get out yet so I'm really wondering what is going to happen in potentially the next episode that makes Cassian be like yeah like we got to take advantage of the situation we have to get out of here um because I feel like he has as you were sort of speaking of or speaking to earlier 
he needs this is definitely going to be his turning point and yeah. i think that he now understands that he can't run from the empire and the empire is it doesn't matter and that he needs to do something about it um and this is like the first step in that and i think that we're going to see him we're going to obviously see him escape and then we know that he's going to be returning to ferrix and we know that there's going to be a lot happening in that in that respect and i feel like we know uh, this is obvious but this is all going to push him into the rebellion like this is all going to lead up perfectly to that point and i just wonder if by the end of this arc with the prison he's going to be more rebellion minded like he he wants to make a difference or if it's going to take this arc and ferrix whatever happens there to like solidify it i think that's the case but um yeah and I, I'm excited to see how they get out. I'm excited to see more of Nelshi specifically, um, just because, you know, we both love him so much. And uh, I want to see more of Cassian and his, like, I want to see them become friends because we know that we they do. Um, that is something yeah. that I, like, wanted to touch on that we've been, like, talking about on Twitter and stuff. But, like, the we know that Nelshi was in Rogue One and, like, followed him to Scarif. So, and, like, a lot of people didn't realize that it was, like, the Melshi, like, the one who did do that with him. So it was so, for lack of a better word, adorable to, like, see people make that connection. Like, it finally, like... They're like, oh, it, it's that guy. Yeah, and I hope that his actor, I hope that Duncan had, like, a nice day because of it. Because everyone was so excited. And, like, as they should, like, this is, like, a really... Like, obviously we didn't know his character, like, practically at all in Rogue One, but they're, like, giving a minor character a bigger story. And it's not an Easter egg. Like, the entire show feels like the Easter egg for yeah. Rogue One because it's going farther into depth into now two characters and three if we include Saw. But it's it's really fascinating how, like, out of all the characters... They brought this one back, the one that was to the right of Cassian. And in the books, it said that they, like, asked, Cassian, like, asked him. And this is the same guy who broke Jin or so out of prison. Yeah, like, the that's one, so, our favorite yeah. word, poignant, that he did that. <laughs> because he Considering this. Yeah, because he told Cassian, like, just, just, essentially just told him, like, just give up. Like, don't ever look at the number. Like, it, it's, it's meaningless. Like, the they'll leave they'll get you out when they want you to get out or you'll die here just essentially that but then five years later this is the guy who's asking Jin if he wants to get out of Wobani out of prison and yes yeah, you beat him with the shovel but <laughs> it yeah. was like, he I can imagine that Wobani like wasn't an easy prison to like it was probably very reminiscent yeah of, uh... Uh... It's, I always try to imagine that conversation and I hope we get to see it in season two but Cassian like assigns him this mission and he's like yeah no problem <laughs> it's yeah and 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 it's cool because we know that um I mean because Melshi was in charge of that mission to go get Jin and he sent K2 with him so like we know that Melshi is trusted enough that Cassian would send his his other bestie with him like his yeah, two besties his two his besties level. off to go get Jin. like you know what i mean 
I, um, I, I love imagining that conversation because I imagine like that Cassian did all of that work. Like he's the one who did all of like the paperwork and stuff or the data work or whatever. And then this is like this conversation or he's like, could you go do this for me? And Mazu's like, yeah, no problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, yeah, sure. Well, I, I hope that we get to see, um, outside of whatever we're going to get of Melshi in the rest of the season. It'd be cool because we know that um, the next season in season two is going to be um, three episodes per years. year yeah. leading up to Rogue One. And it would be interesting if there's an arc that brings Melshi back and we get to see them working together in the Rebellion, like on a mission, the two mm-hmm. of them, um, yeah. or in some capacity. I Or even if it's just a scene to kind of solidify hey, they're besties and they're in the rebellion together. Or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. something like that. I just, please, please come back for season two, Duncan. I, <laughs> please come back. Um, yeah. There are a lot of people so, that were excited about his return already. Some people who were pleased to see it. And then, like, people who weren't expecting it, who saw it, who got really excited. So, yeah. Hopefully that, oh, this won't be the last of Melchie, just this one arc. And yeah. I am so curious to see like how the two of them somebody pointed this out, but they were like Cassian doesn't just like drop Melshi off anywhere. Like he like takes him back to Niemos, which is where Cassian has been living for a while, like pre-prison. So it just makes me like yeah. I can't wait to see it. <laughs> I'm so excited. Well, yeah, because that like I mean, we're assuming it's Neomos. It, it looks like it definitely is. Because um, it was the same filming location. Yeah, so, like, did does Melshi have nowhere else to go? Or was that the only choice for them? Or, like, <laughs> what's going on here? Who um, knows? Maybe it was the safest place. Because, like, her- yeah, Keith Gergo was, like, last seen on Neomos. So maybe he thought yeah. of going there. And then to Ferrex as a Cassian but it would also be really sad if Cassian's like where do you want to go and Melchie's like I have nowhere and nobody (laughs) it'll be that would be very sad I hope we get to see the like ship ride or like the trip like I want to see them in the ship together yeah because that'll that'll be like really interesting it'll be a parallel scene in the future to them on the Uh, well okay and so that reminds me of this parallel I made that made everybody really sad like so Melshi's saying like you know um what what did he say basically like there's no hope of like getting out of here now or whatever (laughs) to to Cassian and then I like had the scene where like Melshi and Cassian are looking at each other in the ship on Scarif like there's no getting out now like that's it like they know that this is probably the last for them and they're not going to be leaving. Oh, it hurts so much. <laughs> also, this scene, knowing that Cassian's last words to Melshi was essentially like an order to light it up. Mm. Not even like a proper goodbye or not that that was Cassian's fault or anything, but that's just sad. Oh, it hurts so badly. We could talk uh, about this all episode. Yeah, but I think that's a good place to wrap it up. I think so, too. We're excited for the next one. We are. That's all that we really have to say. (laughs) We're just really excited. Yeah. uh, For more of our... Who's no longer a glup shido? He went mainstream. 
yes yes <laughs> our little our little guy he's now a, he's like now a big guy our little guy is now a big guy well i hope now that he's big a big time. guy i hope now that he's a big guy we enter into the world of melchi capitalism yes i need more mer- i need merchandise like what the heck why don't we i'm sorry i'm sorry but like he didn't even get a lego figure he didn't even I get know. a lego figure what is this capel capel and right. the other guys did it's not fair that anyone got his like face on like a on a helmet but it wasn't even his helmet they just said it was a scarif helmet like what the Melchie heck erasure it is we need oh, more of oh, him i want a oh, funko pop we'll avenge you <laughs> so there was that reminds me of this tweet where it was like i feel so connected strongly to this character and emotionally affected by them i need their funko pop <laughs> <laughs> but it's true it's true i want to be able to like little like tap his little head and he's like and then it like wobbles yeah yeah i need to be able to put him yes i need to be able to put him next to cassian give him a little wiggle i just need to see him i i it's also like i just feel like it'd be so nice to like have made it like when you are a funko pop you've made it i think that's so, so. true like the if yeah. the lo-fi the lo-fi beats study girl can have a Funko Pop, then Melshi can. Yeah. What I the think. heck? Yeah. Or like if Winnie the Pooh. Okay, well, Winnie the Pooh is like a really that's a terrible. But like, no, comparison. no, you're right. No, sorry, but like the other, oh. uh, the other partisan characters, they got Funko Pops. We saw them for point two oh, yeah, seconds. So true. No, you're like. I mean, so I love great. them. All yeah. the love to them. I love Moroff or whatever how you say his name, but. but- Melshi needs his own. We we need Rogue One Melshi because he has the cute little cap. Yes! Oh my gosh, he looks so cute in that. Oh, with the little sized. Oh, oh, I would. Yeah, I would die. His his little communications (gasps) purse. Yes. Oh, we need it. We need it so much. Actually people at Celebration and Anaheim that were dressed up as Pathfinders and. I was dressed up as Jin, and they I'm pretty sure one of them was like probably Melshi, but I like blacked out during that scene. <laughs> Not that scene, <laughs> that experience in my life. Because they were like, Jin Urso, and I was like, the Pathfinders. <laughs> and they were like, we are I love them. you. <laughs> I love them so much. I I love the little like groups in the rebellion. I love to to find out about them and they're like my little my little family. I love the Pathfinders. I love the Shrikes. I love all of them. They're so us. good. The they word raised Pathfinders us. causes like a visceral reaction to happen. I know. And there's like Pathfinders in the higher public, but they're not like they're not like the that. Same. They're something different. And so every time I see because they're coming up a little bit more on my timeline be in like reference to them but every time I see the word I'm like oh, and then it's not them and I'm sad <laughs> um, you're not my pathfinders hashtag not my pathfinder exactly thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of stardust records we'll see you next week for a review on andor episode nine till then may the force be with you